Hey, sci-fi fans, this is Sean Ashmore from the X-Men Films. You may know me as Bobby Drake, and you're listening to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast. This episode brought to you by Michael Crate and James Husband. Special love goes out to Lee Kemp, who manages our Facebook page. If you like what you're hearing here on the Sci-Fi Diner, feel free to leave us a tip at patreon.com backslash sci-fi, spelled the right way. And by Audible. Get a free audiobook when you sign up today. Audibletrial.com backslash sci-fi diner. Engage. Science fiction is an existential metaphor. It allows us to tell stories about the human condition. Welcome to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast, where we serve up interviews, news, and our view on the world of science fiction. Come, grab a chair, and enjoy the conversations. I'd say we've got an unexpected guest. Rose, where we're going, we don't need Rose. Yes, who's coming to dinner? All right, welcome to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Scott Herzog. And hello, I am Miles P. McLaughlin. Hi, I'm M. Sierra Garcia. I'm Chrissy Raffensperger. And I am your contrarian, Dave Sellers. Contrarian <laughs> is right. It's his first, middle, and last name. But hey, well, welcome to the show tonight. We have an exciting show tonight. We are talking, we are talking, we are talking Star Trek 2009. <laughs> Um, so uh, wait, are are we talking? We are talking yeah. about it. Yes. Um, are we? T- we're talking. We are talking. Right. Okay. Actually, I'm thinking we might we might do a review as a musical, so we can like maybe sing it. Oh no. Yes, uh, Miles, go ahead. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> so, so this will go as a um, our review of this movie. That what's interesting about this is we reviewed this movie soon after it came out. You and right? I saw it in theater, yeah. Yeah, we saw it in theater. We reviewed it. Um, maybe one of the first movies we ever reviewed. And here we are 10 years later reviewing it again. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to be great. But we have a lot of other voices here to kind of help us review this movie this time. And so that's pretty cool. Definitely in that. So uh, we're going to do that. We're also going to hear just a brief Zenkaicon review. Chrissy managed to go to Zenkaicon. Uh, we want to hear about yeah. Joko Cruz. This year, M went to Joko Cruise and also saw Captain Marvel. And we haven't heard from her yet. And uh, But the predominant thing that we're talking about is Star Trek 2009, continuing our journey down the movie review uh, pathway that we've been doing over the past year almost. Oh, yeah. So, a space office. Best Star Trek movie ever. Yep, best Star Trek movie really? ever. Yep, yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm, uh, I'm kind of siding. I'm kind of siding with M here. So. Really? Yeah, 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 yeah. We'll, we'll talk. We'll there's, get. We'll I get have there. many reasons for considering it. There's a lot of reasons, and yeah. and the more I watched it, and the more I listened to the soundtrack, and I just I loved it. And there's 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 a lot. You know, those of you listening can't see Dave Sellers as I'm talking, but it looks like he swallowed a sour lemon. So I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> Just grab another beer, Dave. You'll yes. be fine. So I'm <laughs> glad I brought two. <laughs> well, it's a Bud Light. I don't know if I call it a beer. <laughs> oh, no, I need about a half a case to get a buzz off of these things. Bad. <laughs> oh man. So it's, uh, a, it's an insulate summer cordial. It is. It is. It is. So nice M, crispy boy. <laughs> <laughs> 
um, why don't you tell us a little bit about Joko Cruz? Uh, this is what your fifth year, sixth year. My, um, <laughs> you're trying to count my like, seventh year, seventh year in the Joko Cruise. Seventh year, so and I am seven Jokos old. Seven Jokos old, and there's uh, only been eight of them, I think. Right? Is that right? There, nope. There have been nine, See, and next count. year is the ten year anniversary. Yeah, and you're signed up to go already. Oh yeah, already paid. Yeah. All right, Payne, good to go. <laughs> so uh, tell us about this year's Joko Cruise. So this year's cruise went has come back, came back to the East Coast. And we went to the island of Tortola, which is beautiful, and to uh, San Juan in Puerto Rico. And it was, it was, it's gorgeous as always. But the best part of it was just being around in that environment. It's kind of, it's like a con on a boat. So all the musicians, all the writers, all the actors, all the comedians, all the creative makers that make all the things, like all sorts of media content of every kind, they're all there. Like, Pat, I mean, it's just really fun to stand in the taco line with Pat Rothfuss um, and and John Roddick. Is he on a book update? Because I am flipping <laughs> waiting. So tell my I man think- to get on it. <laughs> so... I'm not gonna because I have witnessed people doing it and that poor guy, like he's trying, it's kind of like the George RR R. Martin thing, but I think George RR R. is taking even longer, like just taking longer. He, he like usually when he gets up to do his, his like Ted, his like when he has his cruise events, um, the first thing he says is please don't ask me about the book. I know, I know I've heard all of you just bear with me. <laughs> and and I get it. I completely get it. I understand from the fan point of view and from his point of view. Like it's just got to be like to be barraged by to like you know have fifteen hundred people up in your grill. When's the book coming out? And how much pressure it must be to make sure that the third book gets it right. You know, he's wrapping up. He's wrapping up this trilogy, and you you, you don't want to you don't want to screw it up. You know exactly. Well, yes, and then and I do understand. I understand where you're coming from, Chrissy. Like you just you're craving the next chapter. I mean, I don't well, know what I was. Understand, Melanie Ron has already completely let me down on her one trilogy. I've been waiting since the late '90s for her to finish that trilogy. So, like, I. I need I need some closure on on one of the trilogies. If Melanie Ron or he came through, the other one would be forgiven. So and there you go. One of the two, one of the two of them needs to finish the trilogy, and then I'll be happy. I have a nice. trilogy; they could write each other trilogy. I don't care. That would be a good way to do it. Just <laughs> hand it off. That'd That's be interesting. Yeah, yeah, like no. But, at this point, I don't care. But. And it's it was it was just a, really a blast. Um, the God, there were just so many people. I I took it as an opportunity to really decompress as well because it's been a long year and I needed a break and that's my new year's that's when the the year resets for me not on January 1 but on the the first step off the gangplank onto the ship is my new year's and it just kind of resets me for the year it's an amazing experience um uh and we had a concert on land with they might be giants however um and it, it was just really strange. This huge storm just kind of showed up over San Juan and rained out the concert. So what a true Joko sea monkey fashion, 
everyone who had an umbrella ran to the stage and started covering everybody and equipment and then formed this wonderful like human chain of like you carry the guitar and you're assigned to this umbrella getting everybody back onto the ship to do the concert ship wide <laughs> and like awesome. broadcast it on every television it was it was it was such a kerfuffle to have like the skies just unleash hell but like not a single person complained so the first, like the first couple of shows I was out there and I wasn't feeling great. So I went back to the ship and the park where we were having the event is maybe a quarter of a mile away, if that. Um, so I was on the ship and I happened to be on the starboard side, which was pointed towards the park and it was beautiful. And I got a cup of tea and I took a little nap, to see if I could get my headache to go away. And then I got up and I texted my friends like, hey, um, how's it going down there? And they said, it's pouring. I must have napped for like an hour. Went out onto the veranda and it's just sheets of rain. Sheets. And I could hear the sound from the distance. And I said, Is the band are the band still playing? And she said, No, that's us singing. So what had happened is there was this beautiful this huge awning that had a bar underneath it. Everyone had congregated, either they ran to the boat or they congregated under the awning of the bar, the bartender started pouring rum like nobody's business and they decided to entertain themselves. And I could hear them singing from a quarter mile of away. Um, Don't stop believing by journey. And it was the most amazing sound to hear. And then when they announced that they were taking the, um, the concert onto the boat, you could hear like the lights because it was at night the lights from apartment buildings were all flicking on as they could hear like this jovial sound of humanity walking from this park back to the ship and everyone like followed all the rules. And it's, it's just such a wonderful space. I, I can't recommend it enough. The ship is actually 85% sold out already wow. and it's only March and it's like 340 ish days away. Um, so it's pretty important. We even have a bigger boat this time for 2020 and it's exciting. It's, it's really a joyful place. I get to see all of my friends in one place. I can order as many desserts as I want. Um, and this year I, because I had no interest in like picking out special outfits to wear, I bought seven pairs of satin pajamas, like with the bottoms and the tops and a couple of robes and that's, and if I wasn't wearing a bathing suit, I was just in a pajamas all day. Well, that's awesome. That is fantastic. So it like, it's an environment where it's, you're completely safe to be whoever you are. You are 100%. You bring your whole self there and it's absolutely like open and respected, which is awesome. Oh, Nathan Sawaya, the guy who does all those Lego, um, uh, sculptures. Right. He made a scale model of the Holland America Oosterdam. We called it the Legoosterdam and had it in the main ship, like, and just had it there for, and buckets and buckets of Lego for us to do, like, to put stuff on the ship. Someone made this huge tentacle, like a Kraken, trying to, like, it was amazing. There was Lego all over that boat. That's I awesome. stepped on a bunch of it. I think I saw but you. Didn't I you, can't recommend. Didn't you post a picture or a video of that boat? I did yeah, of the saw, of the Ligusterdam. Yeah. Yes. That was awesome. I can't recommend it enough. I really can't. Right. It's it's 
if have, anyone has any questions about it, let me know and I'll point them in the right direction. Um, it's, it's truly like, it is my favorite thing to do. So uh, if you are a geek, this is a perfect cruise for someone that's really geeky. So just Google Choco Cruise 2020 and you'll see all the details. It's coming out of the East Coast again, uh, out of Fort Lauderdale oh, nice. in Florida. So nice. it was lovely. I got tan. It was great. That's fantastic. Was, was your personal friend Will Wheaton there? Um. He was there as a, not as an entertainer. Um, he was just there like to hang out and actually just go on vacation. So when we all found that out, I, we all just kind of said, okay. And I think pretty much everyone just left him alone to have a nice little vacation and be respectful of that. And that, that right there is a really big sign of oh, yeah. just the environment that it is like it's, you know, we've all been to cons like people will just pounce on a celebrity like like they're like they own them there's a familiarity that's just strange and a little like scary but on the boat most people are like you know what it's their vacation too and and they chill very cool very cool well we're gonna come back to you to hear about captain marvel but since we're kind of on like joko cruise and we're like which is kind of like a con on a boat in a sense um, tell us a little bit about Zenkai Con, Chrissy, and your experience at going to the anime and manga convention here in Lancaster uh, City, near where we near where we live. Okay, so as you know, this is my second convention um, since I was like a child. So I had a pretty great time. There was one caveat to that, which was I had double booked myself, so I was on call and at a con and. Don't ever do that to yourself because it will ruin the con experience because I got two phone calls right at the start. And so the rest of the day, I was just completely and utterly paranoid that I was going to get a call and need to go and meet a client at the hospital or like go out into the community. So that was not fun. But what was really, really fun um, was actually talking with the other media people. I actually ended up spending most of my day with this gamer girls. Um, I think they do like, they do YouTube channel. And I had a lot of fun with them. So even if you like, oh my gosh, I don't want to go to a con. Like I'm, I'm just going to be by myself. You go make friends because if there's anywhere that you're going to find awesome people that share your passion, it's going to be at a con. And everyone's like was super nice. And I loved all the costumes. I got to see Orin host high school host love people, which like, I just, I just love. Um, and one of my favorite parts of the day was going to the mental health panel and hearing how, you know, fandoms and, getting involved in the larger community really, really helped people's like mental health and gave them that sense of community and sense of belonging that so many people like crave and how helpful it has been to get connected and plugged in. And as a mental health professional myself, I cannot stress enough how important it is to plug yourself into a community and get the support that you need. Plus I think it's suicidal suicide prevention month i think it is maybe that was last month i don't remember but so like i really do encourage like people to go out go to cons get involved in whatever community they can 
because it's, you know, hearing how important it has been for people's like recovery was really inspiring. You know, you know, you're saying that, and I'm thinking about, Em, you were just saying about how much the Joko Cruise gave you time to detox for yourself. Um, and I'm just thinking, hearing what you're saying about the idea of community, and that's where a lot of uh, people do find their community. I mean, they, they look forward to these experiences where they can connect with people who are like-minded like that. Well, and no one looks at you weird when you're wearing the anime shirt or you're dressed up as your favorite character. And you know what was really cool is people were coming in not dressed as anime. They were dressed as, like, Star Trek, and they were dressed as Star Wars or other, you know, franchises. And people were so welcoming. And, you know, doing our interview with Charles was also really eye-opening because he said, you know, a couple years back the community, the anime manga community was challenged to be, you know, welcoming and would they be welcoming to this new group of people? And he's like, you know, I hate gatekeeping and you'll hear hear the interview um, when we post it. But so, you know, that, that welcoming supportive environment that most people don't get to experience in every day. So that was actually probably the coolest part of my experience there was making new friends you know, seeing how supportive the community was and getting to see the cosplay, which I did post pictures of some of the things I took. So that was, that was, it was overall a very good con. Awesome. Awesome. Well, we're glad that you represented the sci-fi diner there and you had a chance to interview some of the celebrity guests and just have a good experience overall, despite the fact that you were on call. So, yes. So, yes. So Not that I wouldn't have dropped the con for, um, like at a you know drop of a hat for my clients, I absolutely would have. Right. I was just glad I got to experience it. Right. You know, definitely, definitely. Well, very good. Um. Well, let's bounce back to you, Em, real quickly. Can you give us like a five to seven minute review of your experience with Captain Marvel and what you thought about it? Um, Captain Marvel, I think, is by far my favorite Marvel film right now. And the reasons are pretty much that like there is there is nowhere else that I have seen on television or film on a screen where they have taken a female character that's been established in print and really delivered them in a way that is true to the character in a very positive light, in a very strong light, and and just being an amazing human being, flawed human being, but still just, you rarely ever get to see females in that kind of a role and female characters in that kind of a role. And I really hope that Stan got to see like a rough draft, a rough cut of this before he passed, because I'm sure, I know he worked very hard to make sure that his female characters were well established. I mean, he, I mean, he did a lot of the broke back images himself, but uh, it is, it is my favorite film. It's, it's got just enough story building and character building. It's got just enough intrigue. There was Samuel Jackson was ridiculous. I loved it. He looks amazing in this film. I can't imagine what the CGI cost was for that. Because I remember seeing Sam L in films when he was younger. And 
I know what he looks like. We all know what he looks like now. And it's incredibly impressive. There's great little jokes. There's great human movements, but there's still a strong character who she, who doesn't need to be rescued by a dude. Um, she's, she doesn't need a, she's got a wing woman and she's got two because of her friend's daughter. Yeah. Captain um, Trouble. And I, and the little, the little teaser at the end when they're like, you know, just let us know when it stops beeping. And I think, does she say where's fury? She just, you just turn around and there she is not like, hello, how are you? I'm captain Marvel, just business. Right. Boom. And I, I loved it. What did you guys think? So I saw it. Um, so we reviewed it and then I saw it and um, we heard. Uh, <laughs> it seems a little backwards. Kiddo. Well, yeah. Well, uh, Miles and Dave carried it and uh, um, <laughs> they shared a lot of their salts already. I'm allowing them to chime in here in a little bit just for a brief, brief uh, feedback on it. For me, I took Kiefer to see it and we sat in a theater. He walked away saying, I love this movie. It was a great movie. Um, he's, he seems to think every Marvel movie he watches is better than the next, uh, the one that he just saw. And and I, I really enjoyed it. I, too, that ending scene when, you know, the, the pager, like, stops going off. He goes, try to get back in line. And then she's there. It's just beautiful. Beautiful. I love that post-credit scene. And, mm-hmm. and I really enjoyed, like, when she when she begins to fly and she takes out those ships and I'm like, oh well, it's gonna they're gonna get it, you know. It's just great. It's a fantastic build. Um, I love the storyline and uh, the only thing that irked me is is how um, Fury loses his eyeball. I thought that was a bit whatever, but it didn't didn't. I, I like the movie in general. It was an awesome movie. Dave, uh, Miles, do you want to chime in here real quick? Again, we heard your thoughts. You don't need to go into depth, but yeah, um, I wanted to like this movie. I, I spent over ten bucks to go see it in theaters, but there's things in this movie I liked. But I gotta say, I Brie Larson just didn't engage me. Um, I, I, I just she just had very little personality throughout this whole movie, um, and this is not because. It, the woman is the lead. I loved Wonder Woman for a lot of the reasons that you love this movie, M. But uh, um, Brie Larson just didn't do it for me. I just thought she her, her she it was just flat in her performance. Um, there, so there's there, a lot of things I liked in this movie. The, the how Fury lost his eye I thought was stupid. Um, I kind of like how they're setting up for the next Avengers movie, but um, yeah that. This 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 one kind of let me. Very cool. So, Brie as Captain Marvel as Carol Danvers, she's pretty on the mark in the uh, for the comic books. That kind of attitude and that kind of sass mm-hmm. is is to me it registers just like it does uh, on the comic book. See, I had someone else tell me that too, and I hadn't read the comics, um, but still, again, for me, I. I know it bothered Miles and Dave. I think you kind of were in the same boat where you just, the actor itself didn't capture you. Yep. Great movie. Great story. Just wasn't compelled so much by the lead. Now I'm granted. I'll still buy it when it comes out because I'm a 
take my money sap. <laughs> um, but uh, I'll be interested to see how she, what her performance is in Endgame. Just to see if, if anything changes at all or if this is really just kind of how we're going to get to know this character. And if that's going to be the fact, that's fine. I, I, you know, I can learn to live with that, but yeah, great story. I, I mean, I love that, especially the, uh, the twists in there with the, the Cree and getting to see Ronan, the accuser uh, before he was a total nut bar, bad guy. Um, Yeah. So I've heard that response before that Brie didn't do it for them. I am only hearing it from men. That's interesting. And the, we had a conversation about it and that Brie is a very different female. She brought a very different female heroine to the screen. Um, the reason like she's not squishy. She's not driven. Her, her, her raison d'etre is, is, is a search for self and having that deficit of not remembering who she was because it was taken away, but then realizing that's who she was all along and being told you need to, you need to control your emotions and control what you are. But it turns out she turned it around. And when she stopped, when she, when she truly let herself be herself and, and be and have her full emotions within her and really understand who she is. That's when she became powerful. And that's when she harnessed the energy from that was given to her by the power source that was based on the Tesseract. Right. So it, that's really interesting. Um, it does kind of bug me when I hear guys like when, cause I've heard it. Oh, I just, Brie doesn't, Brie doesn't do it for me. Cause Brie is a very different female character. Different than, Brie Gal Gadot, very, and you say different than wonder she, woman too. Then different than wonder woman different than scarlet different than um and there's been so few female characters and they've all basically been like they have their moments of of doubt and and figuring out themselves and there's always a, a dude nearby to do it um not that i'm saying you know people are being sexist about it but well no i am there are some people who are i'm not saying that you guys are but i think it's just it's it's we're it's different than anything we've been given before and where a lot of folks aren't ready to, to see it. That's all. Cool. Uh, yeah. You hear that? Well, you, you hear that miles? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, I hear that. It's, you know, again, I, I, I love wonder woman. Um, I thought, you know, you certainly have a strong female character in woman. woman so. And, it's not a, you know, I, and I think, you know, I, I, this is not come from a, there's no sexism coming from me at all. It's, I, tell me a story. Tell me a good story. Um, yeah, that's you know, it, right? Yeah. And, I mean, uh, it's <laughs> you know, I don't care who the lead is. I just, you know, just, just, just tell me a story. Tell me a good story. And if it, you know, it either resonates with me or it doesn't. Yeah. Well, very good. Well, Let's move on and uh, let's talk about uh, Dave Sellers' favorite movie. Oh, yeah. Because um, that's what we're here for. And uh, we're going to talk Star Trek 2009. And uh, Miles, why don't you take us into it and then we'll just uh, kind of take the discussion uh, as it goes. Sure. 
The future begins. A cataclysm in the 24th century throws two ships back in time to the 23rd century, altering the course of history with a different life where he never knew his father, James T. Kirk, becomes a brilliant yet cynical misfit who is finally convinced to join Starfleet by Captain Christopher Pike in 2255. Three years later, Kirk, Vulcan First Officer Spock, and the young crew of the new USS Enterprise with the guidance from Spock's future self must figure out a way to work together together to prevent the, the one responsible for the, the death of um, Jim Kirk's father. Yeah, so that's uh, the premise of it. This movie came out in 2009, did fairly well at the box office for a Star Trek movie. And um, yeah, so that's kind of it. And here we are, as we've been watching all the movies up to this point, it makes sense that we continue our movie watching with this 2009 movie. So uh, why don't we uh, just uh, run through and uh, talk about what it was like coming back and re-watching this movie. Um, Chrissy, can I put you on the spot? Do you want to talk a little bit what it was like coming back to watch this movie for you? So this was a movie that I did see in theaters. Um, I think I'm 90% certain I went with my friends. Um, so it was... It was different now, like especially since um, I hadn't finished my degree in college for psychology, so like I wasn't as deep into it. And now I'm like two, three months out from probably getting my family-based license, family-based license, and so like the opening scene was just so incredibly fascinating for me from that standpoint that even if the rest of the movie I'm like eh, okay gonna leave it the opening scene I could just watch over and over again and probably just continually analyze so that gave me a different like richness to the movie that maybe other people don't have so I definitely do recommend going back and like watching movies over again and seeing what else jumps out at you and especially maybe after some time like you did, you have a little bit of different perspective. Your education is growing, and that obviously changed the way you viewed that movie. Oh, it completely changed the way that I viewed the movie. The first time I saw it, I was like, eh, I'm really not into this. This Now that I watched it, you know, 10 years later, like, there's a lot of things that I'm just like, ooh. So. Well, Em, tell, tell yeah. me about watching uh, this movie again for you. So. I, I mean, I pretty much watch it once a month because the sound, so not that I sit down and like glue myself to the television, but there'll be days where I need to get a lot of work done and I'll have it on in the background because the musical score is phenomenal, oh, agreed. phenomenal. And I love hearing, I love Chris Pine. I love Carl Urban. I love uh, Zachary Quinto. I love Zoe Saldana. Just hearing all of them having conversations as it's just very soothing to me to have that on. Um, and I will actually, when I, when I got my brand new 55 inch 4k ULED TV, the, I sat and agonized for 20 minutes. Like, what am I going to watch first? That was the movie I picked to watch first on my super giant screen. Well, when I realized that sometimes you don't need to see Chris Pine's, the, 
face that close and that big. <laughs> um, but it still looked good. The For me, that film was a wonderful, like, we'd, we'd been waiting for a while for some Star Trek. We had the television shows, which in their own right were amazing and yet a little bit on the cheese side. And we needed a new perspective. Even Gene Roddenberry had said a while ago, he hopes that some young, uh, young, young thing or some bright, uh, bright mind will come along and really like do it, do it up and do it better. And uh, Rod Roddenberry went after he saw it, made the comment, like my dad would have loved this. There are a couple of things, but like my dad would have loved this. It was, it was a very sating feeling to go and see it. My brother and I went to see it. Cause at the time, a lot of my nerd friends were, were still closeted, but my brother and I were like, we're going. And it was worth it. It was absolutely worth it. We stood in line um, to get really good seats. We sat there and it was just delicious. Um, it was a nice new way. It was a nice new perspective on Star Trek and to, to throw it out of the timeline was really cool. When we realized that was happening, we're like, awesome. This is amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Miles, how about you? Uh, saw it in theaters with, with you uh, almost 10 years ago. Uh, I was excited for it. And like M said, uh, having new blood, putting it in a different timeline, I thought was brilliant. This gave them the opportunity to respect what came on before, what came before this. But at the same time, it, it is kind of a reboot with the original characters, but having new actors play them and have them, you know, have, have it done in 2009 um, with a new look, but still a classic look and, and be accessible to people. Uh, People who who may not have given Star Trek a try years ago, but it they did they definitely did this time when this movie came out. Yeah, Dave, do you want to tell us a little bit about uh, your impressions about rewatching this movie again, which I believe we rewatched last night? I did, I did. Uh, look, it is a great movie. It is the cast that they chose for this is is outstanding. They've pulled enough, especially uh, McCoy, Carl Urban, Urban. pulls enough of McCoy's just nuance that it almost feels better than than DeForest did. It's in some ways. I mean, the green-blooded hobgoblin comment, I still laugh about it to this day. I I love the remake of the Enterprise itself, its interior. When they're running around through engineering, through the corridors, despite the fact it was filmed in a Bud Light factory. um, What are you drinking? (laughs) Anheuser-Busch. It was a Budweiser factory where they filmed a lot of that in their their brew house. It's all the, the stainless steel tanks and everything. but. The interior felt more relatable from what we know rather than having some fancy little doodad. It actually looked like the inside of a power plant. 
I mean, it, it was very familiar to me because about that point I had just finished working at a power plant. So it was, it was pretty cool. The, the exterior, the body work on it, yeah, not a big fan of, but it, it still was really nice. The soundtrack, you know, I can't agree with you guys more about that. That soundtrack is terrific. I, I, I love it. I have a lot of it in my Spotify playlist just because it's that good. Um, it goes off the rails for me more and more a little bit every time I do watch it. I am I'm a purist in so many senses, and I hate prequels. I, I immediately off the bat, I'm abrasive to prequels. I was abrasive to Enterprise when it first came out. Come to like it over the years as a good show. But bringing back Kirk, Spock in the early days like this, we've been there. We've done that. Can we? Let's, let's move on. And the more that Discovery continues on and the way they're talking about that tying into the original series. And when they end Discovery, it's supposed to butt right up against season one the more and more these three movies become irrelevant in the Star Trek universe to me. You're taking characters that at this point in time, I have, you've come to know and love over the years as, as a fan who's watched them growing up. You know them about as good as you know yourself from what you see on screen. You, you've learned the history of all these people through the Star Trek chronology. And other things that put into print, compiled what, what you know. And to take that and throw it on its face and change this stuff up in a two-hour movie without being able to break it down and tell the story hour by hour by hour over the course of a season or two, I, I don't know. It, didn't, it, it still doesn't sit well for me. Um, you know, Kirk taking command of the Enterprise – Four years after he joined Starfleet Academy, according to their timeline. Three. Three years. Three years? Uh, he joins in 2253, and he takes command in 58. Oh, are you talking about the uh, the uh, non-Kelvin the Kelvin time- timeline? The Kelvin timeline? I think with three in the years, Kelvin right? timeline. Well, he, Kirk said- He's in his fourth year when it happens, because oh, yeah. yeah. it's right after he takes the Kobayashi Maru. Right. Yeah. So you're, you're taking a guy who has never had any line officer experience that you see who's never served and earned his way up through the ranks, a reckless kid who by their own admission lost his dad, lost his, his drive and ambition. And he joined Starfleet, not because of the influence of his dad, but on a dare from captain Pike. And by the end of the first movie, the first crisis, Oh, by the way, we're going to give you command as a fresh green kid of the flagship of the Federate of the star Starfleet. Doesn't wash with me. Sorry. It's a great movie. It's great to get it all in there because he's got to be sitting in that center seat by the end of the movie. Fine. That's great. It's a great Star Wars-like movie. But to play that kind of stuff off, and I've got no problem with changing the timeline. I see the whole way they did it. I I've, I appreciate how they did it and actually tried to make it legit. I, I'm good with that. I'm cool with that. But I'm not happy with it. All right. Well, we'll. Uh, That's fair. Yeah. Nope. It's, it's, it's fair. It's not for everybody. I told you. I'll, I'll give it all kind of rash, but it, it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and and Dave, probably some of the critics. I mean, the, some of the criticisms you raised, I I can't say they're not not valid. Uh, 
Star Trek author David Mack says, Star Trek 09, rough paraphrase of what he said, it doesn't always work intellectually, but it works very well emotionally. Yeah, see, yeah. see, see for me, so when I went back and rewatched it, so I didn't watch this movie in quite some time. I'm not like I'm watching it every month, but um, I, and there's nothing wrong with that, mind you. Uh, I just haven't watched it in quite some time. And so I was going through my iTunes, I have it in iTunes, and I was just like scrolling through. I'm like, oh, I have this in iTunes. I'll just watch it here. And I began watching it. I had a little bit of time at school and began watching it like at the end of the day. And I just got sucked in like I, and I must've started watching it before because I was at the scene where, you know, James E. Kirk is driving the convertible and he flips off the top and in an FU moment, you know, takes the top off and, you know, here's the beastie boys just you know, you know, coming. It's just incredible. Um, and I just, I loved, I loved uh, from the get-go, it was a joy ride for me. Um, I was not, I was not that engaged. Like when, when I look back to the Star Trek movies we've been reviewing, none of the movies that we watched up to this point have grabbed me the way this movie does, emotionally and engaged me. Um, and... Uh, the lines, the script, what the scripting and the one-liners are funny and phenomenal, and they carry for me carry the essence and they capture the essence of the characters uh, and the crew that we watched in the first, you know, five six movies, right? Um, and, and so for me, I really liked it. Now I don't have the attachment to the original series that some of you have uh, because I've only watched a few episodes. I haven't watched a complete. Uh, series, so I don't have that attachment. Um, but that being said, I thought that J.J. Abrams did a fantastic job of presenting this movie. Um, there are so many moments that as I'm watching it, I'm close to tears in. Um, that especially the the moments with, with Nimoy, uh, when he recognized James E. Kirk and they recognizes Scotty, um, and the whole thrusters in full and the pan at the bridge at the end. It's just there's so many emotional, heart-grabbing moments. And when I watched it, I just could not wait, could not wait to uh, to watch this again and finish it. And it was such an engaging movie. And, and dare I might say, still hitting some of the core values of, of Star Trek. Like when we're dealing with like racial issues with the Vulcan High Command – um, dealing with you know core issues like in Star Trek Five, a friendship being core between uh, James C. Kirk, a uh, Spock, and Bones. I mean, this is kind of the triumvirate we're still playing with here in this movie, and that core is still being explored here. Um, and even the idea of messing with time and uh, taking responsibility for that. I I I, I just I really love this movie for me. So it was a good movie. Uh, for me, I, I liked. I mean, yeah, yes, we've seen these characters before, but we kind of had a chance to. I don't know, reinvent, re- relaunch them, I, I so so to speak. Um, but as soon as the movie started playing, and you hear that familiar background, it's not exactly the same background of the bridge, uh, the beeping noises, but it's very similar and. And then, then you see the you know the bridge of you, know, you you see the ship you see the bridge that Kelvin 
it just felt like, in in a sense, coming home to something familiar, but at the same time, uh, seeing something new at the same time. I, I think this movie, maybe for some longer time Star Trek fans, maybe it didn't resonate, but I think what it did was it, new people who have not given Star Trek a chance before gave this movie a chance and discovered these characters. And as a result, it's like, oh, there's more Star Trek out there. Let's check this out. And so 2009, there was a lot more people at conventions because of this movie than, than, than there were in a while. Uh, I mean, I, I've heard stories of just this was their first convention because after seeing Star Trek 09, they, they decided to come to a Star Trek convention or a sci-fi convention after that. Mm-hmm. So what what this movie has done in, in – in, breathing new life into the franchise, it it can't be overstated. Hmm. So one of the things that I found um, was that in order to make, and I'm going to read this, in order to make the film appeal to a casual audience, uh, Robert Orsi and Alex Kutzman cut down on the technical terms, increased the action, and named it simply Star Trek to indicate to newcomers they would not need to watch films. Um, as a prequel, J.J. Abrams wanted the film tone to be optimistic in contrast to revisions like Batman Begins. Being realistic and being dark are not the same thing. And wanted to retain the humor and the kind of sex appeal that made Star Trek a success. So upon reading that, that makes that does make a lot of sense to me. And Agreed. as a person who grew up watching the original shows on reruns every day after school, I got home by three fifteen. I had on channel twenty, and I was watching um, Shatner and all of, and all of those guys, and DeForest and all of them. Um, I loved the accessibility, and I loved the simplification of Star Trek, so that you could go then like the next Star Trek. That one drove me a little nuts because it was a little too on the nose with fun. But then the third one was such a human, such a, a, uh, I don't want to say human, but just it was such an amazing, it was so person-based and character-based and soul-based instead of being all like crazy fighty with ships in the sky. It was hand-to-hand combat and using your ingenuity and being, you know, very uh, MacGyvery. I, I like that when I talk to people who don't identify with this nerd culture, that they enjoyed that enough to take them in and to go back. So I can I can totally see where Dave just he it 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 was not it was not a meal designed for him. It was a simplified meal that everyone could consume. And I can totally see where it affects it it would drive Dave nuts. I mean I I feel that way about the the prequels for Star Wars. I feel like the I totally understand that, but I do love that they made the conscious effort not to be like how can we sell more toys to kids, but how can we open up Star Trek to be a little bit more accessible to people? And I that was one of my favorite things about the film overall. Yeah, and I and I like the way you say that. This became a Star Trek that you didn't need to see all the series. You didn't need to see the prior movies to leap in. They give you enough backstory that it makes sense and enough context that it makes sense. 
for me. And then there was, um, I pulled a little story about Leonard Nimoy. Let me see if I can find it. When they went to talk to Nimoy about the film and to ask him to be on it. And he took on this kind of, who are these guys? What's going on? Kind of um, attitude and was just kind of sat in his chair and just listened. Um, and they gave him the script and kind of said, we, 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 we really want you to be a part of this because uh, here's the story and here's what we're trying to do. And apparently according to his wife, he just kind of sat there even after they left, he just sat there and was so he was, there was a moment where he was emotionally overcome because he'd looked at the script and really just felt that this was a perfect way to hand, to pass the baton off. And even that last scene with him where you see his last line, um, the thrusters on full. So that was an improvisation. Um, the scene was originally filmed showing Spock thoughtfully and quietly walking away. Afterwards, Leonard approached J.J. Abrams and said, if you give me one more take, I have a thought and I would like to inject it here and see if you like it. And they did. And he said, thrusters on full. Abrams later called Nimoy to tell him how well he thought it led into the final scene as it begins with Sulu taking about the talking about the thrusters. Nimoy said that the inspiration for the line was a way of saying to the younger cast, go ahead and and take it. Take take the reins. Yeah. So I I I I totally hear you that it misses the shot for you. But like I, I love that it's opened up the door and like twice as many people are going to science fiction conventions and um Yeah. I, that's that's the only perspective. Like the the inclusivity of it is is what I love. Yeah, I'll even say the same about my wife. She she's she's never watched this uh, anything of Star Trek until these movies came out, and then out of curiosity, one day she decided she wanted to go back and see some of the original stuff, and she's like, "I like the new stuff better." It's like, well, nobody's perfect. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, I, I will say. Having reviewed the the past movies, you know, we always talk about, you know, would someone who isn't a Star Trek fan, like, would they be able to jump into it? And I think this is one of the first ones in at least a while that we had all said, look, you know, if you're not a Star Trek fan, you could enjoy this movie. And I really do. Yeah. Like, part of me likes that and part of me doesn't like it. And then there's the ever present psychologist in me who's like this movie psychologically really did it for me i i absolutely loved and that's one of the things that i really love about science fiction is when they get the psychology right it just it just felt it felt really good so even if you're like it didn't feel true to the characters of the original series it felt true to the characters in the sense that they would do those things in that situation if that were the timeline which vaguely reminds me of when we talked about nemesis of nature versus nurture there there was definitely kind of a callback to that i don't think it was an intentional callback to that but in since we had just reviewed it like a couple weeks ago it, it really felt almost like a callback of okay the timeline has been altered. Certain things have happened. Now, given this information, how would our characters react? And it felt 
that's what felt true to me to the characters was it the timeline of being altered altered the characters slightly to alter how their their personalities would have developed and that to me was brilliant they even like if you the communicators that they that they're using in the kelvin um they they made a pointed effort that once the timeline broke and all that stuff changed and kirk's dad dies you can kind of see like the evolution of the of they instead of evolving the communicators to what we've seen before like what what they what they are in tng they evolved them differently they made i when i read that i thought that's just a delicious little nugget that i probably would have obsessed over too like no the timeline's changed everything's evolved humans have like the characters have evolved. everything's evolved down to the like they really thought about it humanistically scientifically all of it i i love i love that that, that those efforts were made although then you could also kind of think of, in a way that the movie sort of is an argument of predestination because mm-hmm. how else would you explain all of the characters ending up in the same ship again. So, which which is more of a meta theme that one could talk about outside the movie. And to Dave's point of, you know, Kirk needing to be the captain, for all we know, Spock was like, y'all need to make this guy the captain. That's just how it is. They're like, why? Well, I'm from the future, I know. That's kind of what I do in my head, Canon. Yeah. That's, that's what I have, that's yeah. what I did in my head canon to make that work because otherwise I was with Dave. I was like, uh no, that that's does not work. He was just up for cheating and now you're all just gonna be like, You were so awesome. Here's a ship. <laughs> this is how I, I sort of no. resolved my canon. Like you said, Chrissy, Spock Prime talks to Starfleet and it's like, okay, he did save the earth. Um and we did lose a bunch of starships to Nero. We're kind of, you know, a little shorthanded. Okay, we'll we'll we'll, we'll give him the we'll give him the, the reins and see what how he how he does. Hey, look look at Alexander the Great and what he completed before he was even thirty. Yeah. Well, now look I feel how accomplished. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, dude, please, I understand that <laughs> completely. Um, but like, Alexander the Great was young and brilliant and thought to be reckless and strange, and he conquered. Like a good thirty percent of the planet, with up until, with up until his army was like, "F this, we're going home." Right. When <laughs> they they were too far, too far west that they were almost east again. Right. Right. Yeah, it, it was literally his army being like, "We're not doing this anymore. Goodbye." And it, like, is, hey. and it is a little, a little far fetched to just like hand him the reins, but I accepted it because I thought, well, that dude just made figured out a whole bunch of crazy stuff in a matter of hours. Right. Not even days, hours. Clearly he has some sort of skill at this. Why don't we just give him a ship and see what happens? Although it seems very contrary to start fleet, but Pike is also kind of different than, than from what I understand, he's different than like in the books. So it's just, it's a whole new world. And that's what it is too. It's a whole new world. It's Star Trek, but a whole new world. Yeah. Well, and it, I feel like it leveled the playing field a little so that like when Discovery came along and was super crazy, dark and delicious and purposeful, uh, like more people were accepting of it. And a lot of the people who I know who that 
only have seen the 2009, the Kelvin universe, they're watching discovery as well. Cause they're taking, I think it's just, they took chances and that's laudable if you do it well. You know, that's why I was talking, I was having a discussion with miles a little bit earlier tonight before we did the show. And I said, I don't believe discovery would have existed without the 2009 movie. We needed the 2009 movie to kind of lay groundwork for CBS to get behind and let's say, let's do another series here. Um, and because of it's a, it's a little bit edgier than some of the other Star Trek we've seen and uh, a little bit darker and uh, in some cases more uh, technological, uh, more special effects laden. And, um, and I think you get that because of we get discovery because of J.J. Abrams' 2009 Trek. Um, and, uh, and so Even I though do, it doesn't follow the Kelvin timeline. What? Well, I know it doesn't. Even though I, it doesn't follow the Kelvin. Right, exactly. Like I love that it still sparked it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, when the, the other the other thing that I like, I want to say this, and Chrissy, you can chime in here, but um, I liked the fact that Ahura uh, had such a had, had such more dominant role than she had in the original series. Um, mm. So much so that she's putting Spock in his place. No, you're letting me on this starship. You know, you know, it's, and. You know, she's kind of the one that's kind of directing it. And um, it was neat to see. And so, like, what Gene Roddenberry did with Aura back in the day, back in the 60s, obviously was groundbreaking. But the fact that it's been updated to reflect our times, even though her role is still minor and it's still a male dominated bridge, it's still neat to see that there's been growth in the way that her characters played. So to develop the female characters, the wives of J.J. Abrams, Damon Lindoff, Robert Orsi, and Alex Kutzman were all consulted. In fact, it was Katie Abrams' approval of a strong, of the strong female characters that convinced her husband to sign on to direct. Right. That's another tidbit I found today. There you go. Awesome. Well, what I was I just thinking that. to to piggyback off of, you know, Scott's thing of, you know, this gave us discovery. I was thinking of, you know... The, the last film that we reviewed, you know, didn't do terribly well at, at the box office. You know, if I recall, Enterprise, really, like, as a show, I don't remember it being something that people really got behind. Um, and so, kind of, like, this was their way of being like, all right, if, if we're going to keep Star Trek going, we, we kind of need a win here. So, like... I, I do give her credit for that. Like I said, you know, um, for me, it wasn't like, you know, the best movie ever, or even the best Star Trek movie ever. That will always be the voyage home. Like that, that's just, it <laughs> has everything. I love humor, whales, time travel that, that just did it for me. Um, but you know, and this, this one really felt like a, a, a list movie, you know, whereas the other movies, the older ones would have compared to A-list movies of the day because obviously I wasn't around then to, to make comparisons in my mind. But this one definitely felt like an A-list movie. Well, yeah, when you when you think of the cast, uh, Chris Pine. I mean, this Chris Pine had, had done some had done a few movies before. Uh, Carl Urban might have been the maybe the best known actor, the, the biggest name on the on the hair. Zachary Quinto had just got off done uh, Heroes. Um, what else? What else? Um, save the cheerleader, save the world. 
Well, I wasn't thinking of that. I was just thinking yeah. just, just just the um, oh Simon Pegg. I mean, I mean what Chrissy said. Yes, this. I mean, you had a lister actors in this movie, so I think that helped bring people in. A little uh, no, apparently, that. Go, go ahead. ahead. I was going to say, although the one actress that did not age well for me, only because of her role in Stranger Things, was Spock's mother. I just, I just expected her to start going on and on about like needing to find Will. Um, oh, uh, Winona Ryder. <laughs> <laughs> yes, like, and, and I'm, I'm like, even when the the planet blew up, I was like, oh, I guess she's going to go visit the um, Upside Down now. Like that was my emotional reaction to that. So in that, in that. <laughs> I will say, like, that's, like, the one thing that really did not age well for me was, oh, hi, baby, um, was, was that actress. And only because, like, now she she had such a great, she's such a great, great actress in Stranger Things. That is probably, if you go back and watch this movie now, you'll probably have the same reaction of, I guess she's just going to go hang out with Will in the Upside Down. Like, I'm not even worried about the fact that she just got sucked into a black hole. Like, whatever. Um, so that that's, like, again, more meta. But anyways, Emma had something brilliant to say, I'm sure. Um, so the Winona Ryder stuff, there's actually a, there's uh, the movie was supposed to open up with the scene of the birth of Spock, which is why they chose a younger actress instead of an actress that was more age appropriate and then aged her up for those other scenes. But when they went to cut it, they had already filmed all the scenes with Winona and cut the young ones. So we got stuck with, I, I, I agree. That was just, it was not in a, it was not great. They didn't do a great job with her on that one. But um, so as I was reading today, Simon Pegg didn't audition for the role. He got a call. He got an email from JJ Abrams asking if he wanted to play Scotty. And he replied back, I would have done this for free or even paid Abrams to be in the movie had he not offered the role. And then Carl Urban got it on the first audition um, because he is a devout religious star Trek fan. So the minute he knew that the project was being built was being put together, he sat down with his son and bought like, and bought all of the 1966 about the, the, the DVD set and they watched all of it together. And then Chris Pine was not their first. Uh, there were like five other, four other actors who were up for Kirk, but in the end, JJ picked, um, uh, uh, Chris, because he said there was just something about him. And then Chris actually so that he, he completely sucked up as much Star Trek as possible. And then realized he was starting to do an interpretation of Shatner. So he went and I'm trying to find the list of people that he studied. One of which was Harrison Ford for his Han Solo and his um, uh, Indiana Jones and a couple others, like he didn't want to, he didn't want to be completely, he didn't want to do a Shatner. He wanted it to be a little more youthful and a little bit more ragtaggy and mildly scoundrelly, which I love. And Zachary Quinto, actually, he just mentioned um, in an interview, he said, oh, I heard they're doing it. I would love to play Spock. And Abrams read the article and was like, okay. <laughs> All right. And then for uh, for Quinto's audition, he wore a blue shirt and flattened his hair down. Nice. He was absolutely determined to, and then he made a comment like, look at my pictures when I was a kid. I walked around with that bowl cut forever. I was meant to play this role. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. I have to say on Amazon Prime, they have the that 
that, what do they call it? X-ray, which has all of these little quirks and things and trivia and goofs and all of these little, I, there's, I've watched this film over and over again and I've watched it with the audio commentaries as well. There's stuff on here from Amazon that I had never, ever read before in my life. This is super cool, which is where I'm finding all of these tidbits. That's oh. awesome. This is what Leonard Nimoy thought when, when he uh, saw the movie. Um, uh, I don't know if this was io9 did the interview, but they they have the article in there. But I just just what when they asked him what what did you discover about young Spock while making the movie? This is Leonard Nimoy. Zachary's choices in his performance often surprised me in a very positive way. I would never have thought to do that. And I think that's a wonderful idea. Let me take the opportunity to say everybody at this table. The cast are very, very talented, intelligent people. They found their own way to bring that talent and intelligence to this movie. I think it shows. Chris Pine could do anything other than go direct to Starfleet after Bruce Greenwood told him that what his life would be about. I would be shocked. I just had to do what, what Bruce Greenwood told me to do. When Carl Urban introduced himself as Leonard McCoy and shook hands with Chris Pine, I burst into tears. That performance of his was so, was so moving, so touching, so powerful. As Dr. McCoy, I think uh, uh, D. Kelly uh, DeForest would be smiling and maybe in tears as well. And these two, uh, Zachary and Zoe, I think were wonderful together. It's such a passionate and uh, compassionate performance by Zoe. I was just so pleased to be part of this movie with all of you good people. Yeah. I learned that Neota is Swahili for star. Cool. There you go. <laughs> there you go. This is the first. I mean, the the name was used in, in the novels. I, I don't know who suggested it to the writers to use that, but uh, that was the first time we heard her who her first name in, in uh, on screen. Right. Um, so I found a tidbit. William Shatner had wanted a major role in the film, like Leonard Nimoy, and wanted James T. Kirk to accompany Spock Prime back in time, even though Kirk had officially died in Star Trek Generations in 1994. He suggested that the film drawn the novels where Kirk is resurrected by J.J. Abrams felt that, but J.J. Abrams felt that Kirk accompanied, if Kirk accompanied Spock, this would then be a film about the resurrection of Kirk and not about reintroducing Star, the Star Trek saga anew. Nimoy disliked Kirk's death in Generations, but also concurred that resurrecting Kirk would be detrimental to this film. What would you, like, if they, if, if cooler, if not so cooler heads had won and gotten like, what, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, not Best Trek movie of all time. I'd go see it, but I really think- <laughs> even. <laughs> <laughs> even I mean, there's, there's messing up the timeline, but like resurrecting Kirk. See, it's funny. Uh, Shatner tried to p- he he pitched that idea shortly after the generations uh, opened and played in theaters. And when he pitched that idea, it was appreciated but n- not used. And so th- he he decided to put out the novels. Um, and, and you have this thing in the novels called the Shatner verse. Um, he had a couple of the authors help him, but he put out a series of novels where Kirk they, they do bring Kirk back, and he's. Hanging out in the 24th century. I personally hate resurrecting, like continue like heroes that don't die, because then to me it makes the past deaths less meaningful. Like 
and it, it really takes away emotionally from it. And it also, it just, it just feels like, you know, and then when people die, I'm just like, eh, whatever, you know, like, I want to care if someone dies. I want to feel something of, like, a character that I love, you know, is mm. killed off. I don't want it to be like, eh, whatever, they'll bring him back in the next movie, or eh, whatever, you know, a multiverse. Like, it, it just, it just loses meaning, and then I stop caring about stories. I stop caring about the choices, because then I'm just like, it doesn't matter. The choices don't matter. We just hit the reset button, and everything goes away anyways. They wake up as a dream. Like, you know, yes, this stuff is fantasy for us, and it's an escape from reality. At the same time, I don't want it to be such an escape is that, like, I don't care about it anymore, where rules don't matter. Do we forget? It has to be a good escape. Do we forget though that in movie three, Nimoy did exactly that? Spock was killed at the end of movie two, and they resurrected him back in movie three. I haven't forgotten. And I had a problem with that. All right. Well, at least you be consistent. That's good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't have a problem I mean, with that because I'm very glad that we got Nimoy in the other movies. And, 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 and I, I'm, yeah. I'm glad. Oh, go ahead, Miles. Oh, just uh, I was just gonna add. Yeah, I mean, if they didn't bring Nimoy back, this this would have been a very different movie. Yeah. It, at least it, they it didn't would've. do it. At least they didn't do it with Magic Triple Blood. <laughs> <laughs> we haven't even reviewed that movie yet, Dave. Come on. <laughs> oh, I know. I'm already itching. <laughs> it wasn't Magic Triple Blood. It was blood from the from the those funky humans. From Khan. It was blood from Khan. Yeah. That they yeah, put in the triple, and they right. still had blood left over from Khan, and that's what they put in him. That's so. right. That's right. Super blood. That was like another Kurtzman movie, wasn't it? Although, when when are we going to invent this like red liquid stuff that blows up planets and creates black holes? And I'm not entirely certain that like I mean, you're destroying planets, and how are you? How does that affect the rest of the gravitational pull? Like, I just have so many questions about that red matter. Like, there's what, so many I, physics issues. Indeed. Yeah, definitely. It's the 23rd century. We'll let it go. Is it the literary? No, we will not. <laughs> if you want, I can ping my astrophysicist friend and see if she'll she she's in the United Kingdom, but maybe she could do a, a late nighter while she's feeding the baby, and she can she can help us. She can help us understand on the physics of Star Star Wars of Star Trek. Yeah, I mean, the magic MacGuffin. <laughs> I. I don't like Magic MacGuffins too, but that's that's another hang up I have. We'll just say that Q gave it to them for amusement yes, purposes. Yes, exactly. There we I go. go for that. I go for that. I've now I've now fixed it. You have fixed it. Q fixes everything. You're it. welcome. You don't need a lot of red matter to make a planet implode, we found you out. You don't, apparently. No, you don't. One yeah. little drop out of the giant ball. That's right. So yeah. then when the giant ball exploded all over the other ship, like, why didn't that cause multiple black holes? And also, see, I have problems. Again, we'll say that Q did something to it. Therefore, I fixed it once again. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> all right, then. I think I think for one of these episodes, we need to enlist some of our of our of our science friends and have them come and talk to us about the science, the physics of Trek. Uh, that would way, be an interesting conversation. And maybe, it's maybe, maybe what we do is, meltdown. well, maybe what we do is at the end, you know, so we have two more movies to go, maybe, you know, 
when we finish reviewing the uh, after the uh, two movies from now, maybe we do a uh, a show just on the physics of Star Trek, and we bring people on that are talking about over time the different things that have that they dealt with. That we talk about the probability or the lack thereof, or the problematic areas of it. That may not be bad. That could be. That fun. would be brilliant. Yeah, it would be. That'd be fun. That'd be fun. You know, I wanted to mention one thing. Dave mentioned at the beginning of the show that this was a good Star Wars movie. Um, and, you know, we know that the Kelvin timeline does take place in the Star Wars universe because R2-D2 is floating among the wreckage of all the Enterprises that are all the starships there when they go to uh, Vulcan. Well, there we, there we have it. So we know it's the same universe. Hey, did anybody else so, find it awesome that they gave Scotty a pet? Yeah. <laughs> so what we're going to have down is, there. we're going to have a fourth movie of a Star Wars, Star Trek crossover, and <laughs> we'll have Darth Vader versus Spock. There we go. Directed I'm, by J.J. Abrams. No, directed by me. Yeah, because I go. thought of it. <laughs> no, there we go. There we go. Well, uh, Eddie, uh, let's do any closing thoughts on this movie. We'll just kind of do this round table. And, uh, and um, Dave, we'll allow you, since we went with you last, we'll allow you to start with closing thoughts about this movie. And then we'll just kind of go around. And uh, there's probably a lot more we could talk about and say about this movie, but we're up over an hour. And uh, let's bring this a little bit to a close here. Uh, so, Dave, go ahead. Give us your closing thoughts on the movie. Despite all my problems and all of my issues with this thing, um, again, it, it is still under the Star Trek banner. I still will watch it before 80% of anything else on TV. Um, I even still watch it above Star Trek five, but yeah, we'll see. But, uh, yeah, that's about it. Nothing great. But again, a, a great, a great sci-fi movie that, takes a lot out of the trek universe for me all right very good and would you uh recommend this movie to someone that maybe didn't watch trek before yes all right sounds good that's good chrissy how about you i i would consider it's a it's a good movie it's a solid movie i i would probably give it a good solid b as far as movies go for me my my a's are very high to almost impossible to reach but a good good solid movie i liked it overall i enjoyed myself thoroughly watching it very good em how about you loved it it's a great entree into star trek um it's 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 so well done and so well thought of and there's a reference to it that as i've read about the the making of and and this, how decisions were made, they they did not go into this lightly, and um, I appreciate that they cared enough to to continue the torch and to and and to do it as respectfully and as with with as much fun as possible. You know, and you mentioned something there, Em, that we didn't really talk about tonight, but there was a, there was a lot in this movie that was thrown in there for true Star Trek fans. That if you were you grew up with Star Trek. There were a lot of small nuances that if you were really a fan, you would have picked up on. And, um, and so they were really trying to respect the former fans, despite it being modernized. Oh, there's so. a, there's Easter eggs in there. Yeah, absolutely. Miles, how about you? Uh, for, for 
many Star Trek fans, it's not the Star Trek they wanted, but it's really the Star Trek we needed, or else when I, I don't think we would be still t- we would be talking about Star Trek in the in the past tense, not um you know, that we have a new TV show, we've had, you know, two other movies coming out, we have other Star Trek that's coming out because before two thousand eight, Star Trek was on life support. Uh, you had some fantastic novels still being put out. You had still you had fan film groups like uh, New Voyages and, and Farragut and, and others still put out some good fan films. But as far as uh, how the masses felt about Star Trek, it it was um, like I said, it was on life support. So um, this this breathed life into the franchise that so desperately needed. And it's a it's a, it's still a very enjoyable Star Trek movie, and um, I'm glad we got it. Um, yeah, I could I could I could I could I could keep going how 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 much I love this film and what I think it uh, contributed to. Yeah, and I did what a lot of you are saying. This is uh, for me. It's it was a great movie. It was great to rewatch it. It's 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 one that. I I can't I couldn't believe when I rewatched it just the other day that I hadn't rewatched it earlier because it's just so good, the music, the acting, the one-liners, the scripting, uh, was just great. And the lens flare didn't even bother me this time, even though I'm sure it was there. I just didn't just didn't pick up on it. It just you know, <laughs> and maybe I, maybe I saw it more in theater than I did on the uh, little uh, my little MacBook screen I was watching it on, but. Um, I just really enjoyed this movie. I can't say it enough, and I'm really glad to see it, you know, modernized in this way. So it was very good, very good. So thumbs up for me. But all right, well, we would love to hear your thoughts about the uh, Star Trek 09 movie, and so you can email them to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast at gmail.com, message us on Twitter, or message us on Facebook, and we would love to hear your thoughts. We will be reviewing the uh, movie too, and that's what Into Darkness is that right? Yes. Into Darkness. Con, the new con movie. Um, and we'll be doing that in about a month here. And uh, and we would love to hear your thoughts on that as well. So I believe that's about it. Miles, why don't you take us out of the show? All right. Till next time. Good night and good luck. We'll see you. Do your dailies. Leave your tips on the table. Go boldly. If you've enjoyed the conversation, the owners of this establishment would love to hear from you. Send your comments and feedback to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast at gmail.com or join our Facebook page at facebook.com slash sci-fi diner. Will Wheaton was in the film. I know, Romulan. Romulan What was it? He was... He was oh, some of the Romulan voices. Um, what else did I find interesting? The sound of the doors is a Russian toilet flushing. <laughs> oh. I'm going to have to look at that. that the sound of his motorcycle when he comes up to the, when Kirk like, goes up to and he drops it off. It is the exact same sound they used for the cars and the Jetsons. They just tweaked it a little. Oh, wow. Here here we go. The automatic doors of the USS Enterprise is a Russian train toilet flushing. <laughs> a train toilet. Um, That's great. 
Yeah, so very Russian specific. Trained, like very, um, very, very specific. Yeah. When Kirk is being faced by the Predator on Delta Vega, a child was used in a, as a stand-in for Pine in order to make the set appear larger, which is neat. Um, Leonard Nimoy, Majel Barrett, William Shepard, Greg Ellis, and Paul Townsend are the only cast members to have appeared in the film who have previously appeal, appeared on another Star Trek spinoff. So that was neat. Um, I didn't know about the Budweiser Anheuser-Busch uh, Van Nuys location. That was neat. Simon Pegg's accent is based off his wife, Maureen, who is Scottish. Um, That's adorable. Super cute. What was he? Oh, after the scene in the bar, Captain Pike says to Kirk, you know your father was a captain of a starship for 12 minutes and he saved 800 lives, including your mother's and yours. I dare you to do better. From that, from the moment that Kirk first takes his seat as acting captain of the Enterprise, it is 12 minutes until the point where Spock destroys the Narada with the space drill, saving the lives of everyone on Earth. Oh, wow. Interesting. I thought that was cool. That is cool. That's a lot of fun. That's minutia. That is minutia. We like our minutia. That is Yes, we do. That is good. It's too bad the guy that played uh, oh. George Kirk, uh, you know, his career didn't amount to much after this movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. The In the in the commentary, um, they talk about that. J.J. Abrams is like, he was just this guy, and now he's Thor. Um and to perfect the Vulcan salute, Zachary Quinto had his fingers glued together by James Abrams. Uh, <laughs> he couldn't do this on his own? Couldn't, he couldn't hold it on his own. So they glued his fingers together. It must have my ears of violin being able to like... I, I can do it too. <laughs> 